Good morning. You're listening to Byesville Assembly of God Church. We exist to be a place of connection to God and to others who believe in Jesus. We're glad you joined us today. We invite you to listen closely as our new lead pastor, Dustin Dykey, preaches the Word of God. Well, good morning, church. Isn't it good to be with the family of believers this morning? We believe that as we gather together, we are built up and encouraged to go out and proclaim the name of Jesus in our communities and in our workplaces and in our families. And so we don't come to church for a social gathering, amen? We come to church to meet with Jesus Christ, the very Son of God who gave up His life for us. So, welcome to church. We're glad you're here this morning. Let's get into God's Word. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. Again, that's Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version, otherwise known as the ESV. Um, if you're new to our church, and you, or maybe you're new to the Bible and haven't read it much, we are glad that you are here. This is a place for you. You're welcome here. And we desire to be of as much help as we can be to you uh, to help you understand this big book. So there's an index in the front of your Bible that shows you all of the books of the Bible. On the right side, you're going to find Ephesians. That's where you can turn to today. And ultimately, more important than talking to us about the Bible, first of all, if you have any questions about the Bible, you're welcome to come up and speak to us afterward. But um, if more important than me talking about it, we believe that the Holy Spirit inspires us as we read the Bible. We believe that He reveals the Scriptures to us and the truths that we need to know that are inside of it. So... um, we please read it on your own as well, but also understand that we are very much so available to answer questions about that. Lots of amazing things. Today we'll be reading through the entire chapter of Ephesians 3. Now, normally I don't do this. For the last few weeks I have, but, and I was telling my wife Hannah this, I just really believe that we need to get this full picture as we're going through the book of Ephesians. This is just really important, what I believe God wants us to see here. Um, lots of good stuff in this, in this section. As a review, the writer of this book of Ephesians, his name is Paul. Uh, he was formerly a persecutor of Christians and approved of their death. He sought to persecute anyone who believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that sound like anything familiar happening today? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. In today's world, we have, persecu- we have Christians that are being persecuted all around the world. Paul was doing this persecuting of Christians, but God, someone say it, but God, but God changed his life in a moment on a road to Damascus, and he went on to write a majority of the New Testament of the Bible. So we're going to jump in to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, again in the English Standard Version. Let's take a look at this. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit." This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, 
who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened through his power, with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Jesus, reveal this word to us. Reveal this word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Short prayer, but that is my request from the Lord, that he would reveal his word to us. So as we begin this chapter, we see that Paul is in prison. So in chapter 1, he didn't start out by saying that he was in prison. And the exact dates that this is written is not actually 100% certain. But he did have a two-year imprisonment in Rome that's identified and referenced in Acts chapter 28. So this is most likely the time frame in which the Ephesians book was written. But either way, his imprisonment isn't mentioned in Ephesians chapter 1. Now this could mean one of two things. Let's take a look at this. Number one, it could mean that he wasn't imprisoned when he wrote chapters 1 and 2. We understand that chapter 3 is the first time he brings this up. I think that option is kind of an unlikely one, seeing as that if he was in prison in the middle of him writing this book, that he probably wouldn't have been able to take his writings with him from wherever he was into prison. So when you're thrown into prison, right, you, you're basically thrown in with next to nothing, and especially back then. So the other option that I think is the more accurate one is that he just waits until chapter 3 to mention that he's in prison, um, which it, it seems to be pretty accurate. Now, if you're writing a letter to somebody from jail... You personally, not that any of you have been there, right? But I'm just saying, if you're writing a letter to somebody in jail, the first thing that you might write is, well, hey, I'm in jail. Um, I'm in prison. I'm in chains. Things are kind of rough. But I wanted to give you this encouraging message, right? But no, he doesn't do this. He, he doesn't until the third chapter of his letter. And even when he mentions it, it's not the main part of the text. If you read through it quick enough, you might even read over it. If we read it fast, Ephesians 3, 1, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, right? You might miss it if you read it too fast. But Paul wasn't in the business of making people feel sorry for him because of what he was going through. In the middle of his life being put on halt because he was imprisoned, he is thinking of other people and giving them the hope of Jesus. What do you do when something comes your way that you didn't expect? Whew, big question. Is it your natural response to throw a pity party for yourself? I know it's easy to do. I, I do it a lot. But 
I'll be the first to raise my hand and say I struggle with that from time to time. Uh, my wife, for instance, she loves to get up earlier than I do. She loves to get up like a whirlwind, okay? So her eyes open up. She flips off the covers of the bed. Good morning, world. I'm glad to see you, right? I am not quite like that. All the while, I've been woken up from a deep sleep and can barely even get my eyes open and no left from right. And she'll tell me that it's time to wake up, time to go for a walk. And then I begin my pity party. I say, well, Hannah, I did this yesterday. I brought Nehemiah to the park, and I did a lot of work yesterday. I was in the office. I mowed the lawn, did this and that. I think I need to stay in bed and just get a few more minutes of sleep. Well, that doesn't work for Hannah. She's pretty insistent that it's time to get up and go for a walk. Now, obviously, that's kind of a silly little pity party, but let's take this a little bit deeper this morning. Let's take it a little deeper. What happens when you get some diagnosis that you weren't expecting? What happens when someone suddenly passes away that was near and dear to you? Hard questions. What happens when the water heater breaks down and you have to take an ice-cold shower on the same day that you rear-end a car and have $2,000 worth of damage, on the same day that your toilet was leaking all day while you were at work and you've got water damage in your home, on the same day that the electric bill uh, spikes, you get it because the air conditioner is running at sky high because it's the middle of the summer, and then, and then, and then it, the list goes on. What, what happens then? What do we do? How do we react? Oh, it's all fun and games when things are going right. It's easy to say, thank you, Lord, when things are doing right. It's easy to tell somebody else, hey, let me tell you about Jesus and how great he is and how awesome he is when things are going right. It's easy to have a good attitude when things are going well. But church, the moment that your life starts crumbling to pieces, what do we do? It gets difficult. Maybe sometimes you want to tell others about it. You, maybe you want to tell the friend. You want to tell the family member. Now, for obvious reasons, we need to have a confidant. Okay? We need to have somebody that we can tell things to. We need accountability in life. I, I, I don't care how young, old you are. We need accountability in life. That's a must. But ultimately, did you talk to God about what has happened in your life today? When's the last time that you've talked to God about what has happened in your life? I encourage you, talk to God about it. Do you turn to a family member or friend before you turn to God? It's easy to do. I get it. I understand. I do it too. But if God is the provider of all things, and we really believe it, don't you think that it's a good idea to talk to Him first? Wow. Paul doesn't bring the focus of himself to the table. And honestly, if you really talk to Paul, he might even tell you that being in prison was all a part of this journey that God had for him because he had to get this gospel out to all people. And maybe he shared the gospel with some people in prison. I do wonder if that maybe slowed him down for a season enough to get some of these letters written. Maybe he wouldn't have written as many of these letters. He had a lot of time to think. A lot of time to reflect on God's goodness. What we learn from Paul, we're still in verse 1. <laughs> what we learn from Paul in verse 1 is that your current situation should not dictate how you respond to the rest of your surroundings. There's an author named Leary Bonnet, and he puts it in, uh, this way in his book, uh, When Bad Things Happen, God is Good. This is what he says. He says, if worship of the Creator ensued exclusively from our emotions, worship would cease when human emotions are spent. In truth, worship of the Creator ensues from an unshakable faith 
in the goodness of God because God's love has been poured out to our hearts. Amen. We talked a few weeks ago about grieving, right? And making sure that you go through a season of grief. That's important. But in your season of grief, we don't stop praising and worshiping God. In your grief, we don't give up our faith. And maybe some of us at times have given up our faith. And God is there with us and He's encouraging us to keep the faith and to hold strong to the faith. But the encouragement to you this morning is that when you are going through a season of grief, that you don't give up your faith. You continue to trust and have faith in God that he's taking care of things. Paul's witness here is that, yes, he's a prisoner for the gospel, but that's just a small detail of the bigger picture that God is doing. Let's take a look, verses 6 and 7. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. See, we take a look at this Gentile idea. Gentiles were people who were not Jewish, and a lot of people thought that because the Jews were waiting on their promised Messiah, that the Gentiles wouldn't get to take part in the blessings of Jesus here on earth. Now, even Jews that were Christians didn't want anything to do with Gentiles at times. But the Bible doesn't say that you have to be a Jew to be saved. The Bible doesn't say that Gentiles are not allowed to be part of the kingdom of God. It says the opposite here. Paul explains to us this mystery to the Ephesians is that the Gentiles can have part in the blessings of Jesus and have relationship with him just like the Jews can. Now, that was kind of a problem for some people because these Jews had devoted their life to godliness, seeking after God, but this Jesus would be willing to even save people who lived their life in sin and had forsaken God so many times? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Flip that to today's day and age. For those who believe in Jesus Christ and confess their sins to God, they have a relationship with Jesus. You believe that in this place today? Jesus died for the drug addict. Jesus died for the pornography addict. Jesus died for the alcoholic. Jesus died for the murderer. Jesus died for the gossip. Jesus died for the homosexual. Jesus died for the unkind. And yes, even Jesus died for you. And for those who believe in Jesus and confess their sin, Jesus will cleanse them and make them whole. This message is pretty similar to the one I gave last week. It's pretty similar than to the one before. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so I'm going to proclaim it till the day that I die. This is so important. And what Ephesians, what Paul is saying in Ephesians is he's trying to explain Jesus to all the different people that he's going to encounter into this Ephesian church. Now, we believe that when people become saved, that their lives should begin to change because of Jesus, right? Jesus will help those that are struggling with the things I mentioned before, absolutely. But you might say, well, I just haven't done near the bad things that those people that you mentioned have done. So how do they get the same reward that I get, right? I've made good choices, right? I've done it right. So how could somebody that has lived their life an awful human being. Anybody know an awful human being? Don't raise your hand. 
Anybody have, we know that there's people who have lived their life awfully, and I know that there are people who have lived that life that have given their hearts to Jesus on their deathbed, and I believe that they will be in heaven when I get there someday. The grace of God goes farther than you can comprehend. It goes farther than you can see. It goes farther than maybe you would have needed. But God's grace goes that far. God's grace goes that, that far. Don't be too quick to judge, church. I would direct us, if we have this attitude that I haven't done as near as bad as somebody else, I would direct us to a bold statement. And Jesus said it, not me, so I can say it. Um, in Ephesians, in, sorry, Matthew 7, 5, you hypocrite. That's strong. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Man, that's hard to understand sometimes. First take the log out of your own eye, then you'll be able to clearly see the speck out of your brother's eye. Paul also mentions this quote-unquote mystery of Christ earlier in this book. In Ephesians 1, 9, he mentions the mystery. Paul also mentions mystery a number of times. In fact, you looked it up in the English Standard Version, a total of 17 times that he mentions this mystery throughout his writings. Before this time, Jesus was prophesied for years. And the mystery that Paul is talking about is the mystery of Christ. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the gospel. Before this point in time, Jesus would, was prophesied about for years and years, and they had all these signs pointing to some Messiah that would come. But when Jesus finally came, he fulfilled all those prophecies, and now we have this mystery revealed to us. And when Paul was writing, the mystery was already revealed. So Paul mentions that he feels this call and mission to tell people about Jesus so that they would be in relationship with him. But as he mentions his call to do so, he says something very interesting in chapter 3, verse 8. To me, he says, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul viewed himself as the least of all the saints. I know I have a different book than he does, you know, as far as who I think is better than one, maybe, but I would think that he's pretty much got it going on. He's got a majority of the New Testament written, and he says he's the least of all the saints. Wow. He was given this opportunity to share the gospel and write so much of the New Testament, and he was in prison for the gospel of Jesus. He was a chief announcer, so to speak, of the things of Jesus, and he viewed himself as the least of all the saints. I mean, if we want to be brutal this morning, he really did do a lot worse than some of the other apostles that were proclaiming Jesus. But even still, the other apostles didn't write near as much as he did for the Bible, and they didn't accomplish some of them near what he did. Here's what I'm reminded of in this passage. No matter where you are, no matter what status you think you got, you're replaceable. Now, I know that's not very encouraging, okay? But you're not so important that you're the only one that can do your job. You might say, oh, man, that's pretty harsh. I came today to be encouraged. Well, sometimes we just need a little dose of reality mixed in with encouragement. We have to understand we're not the only ones that can do what we do 
Now, I know it's not the most encouraging thing you've ever heard in life. And if you're, uh, I guess, on the complete flip side, seriously, though, if you are struggling with self-worth today, please know that this doesn't mean that you aren't important where God's called you. God calls people to things for a season. But we ought to count ourselves as the least rather than the greatest as we do things for the Lord. Take a look at verses 14 through 16. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Paul prays that the Ephesian church would be strengthened with power from the Lord. And there's a certain position that he takes when he prays. There's a certain position that he takes when he prays, and that is on his knees. He bows to his knees. And I didn't know the guy, but I am assuming that he probably bowed to his knees, lifted his hands up to the Lord, and he prayed a bold prayer asking for strength from the Lord for the Ephesian church. Are you in need of strength today? Are you in need of strength today? Here in a few moments, we're going to do an altar call that will look something like this. I just want to be up front with you so you kind of understand what's coming. If you're in need of strength from the Lord today, I'm going to invite you forward in a few moments. Don't move yet. This will be in a few minutes, but I want to give you this opportunity. You will not find your strength from a positive vibe. One of the most frustrating things I see over social media is people asking for prayer. Well, prayers is fine, but people asking for positive vibes along with it. Oh, if you just give me some positive vibes, I'm going to do this today, and I'm a little concerned about it. Church, positive vibes do nothing for us. If you're looking for strength, it comes as we seek the giver and the author of life. We seek God himself, and he gives us what we need from day to day. And if I have the King of kings and the Lord of lords who's listening and willing to step in on my behalf in a situation, surely I would want more than a positive vibe that holds absolutely no value. This might make you feel good. That's it. I remember specifically my grandpa Don when I was... Growing up, he was my pastor, and he would go to the church for prayer. He would, he'd be on his knees. He'd put his glasses on the front pew. He'd be weeping and praying before God, asking God for strength. He knew it was hard to be a pastor. He did it for 34 and a half years at the same church. He knew it was hard, so he knew he couldn't go any farther without the strength that came from God. So weekly, he would be praying and praying and seeking God. He would come on a Saturday night. He invited anybody else he wanted to. It would be on a Saturday night, and he would just be weeping on the front pew, asking God for strength, asking God for direction. That man knew and knows what it means to seek God for strength. Today, are you seeking in this world for strength? For a problem that you're facing, or are you seeking Jesus? I encourage you to seek Jesus. 3, 17 through 19 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow. Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church was that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. What is the fullness of God? What is the fullness of God? 
I don't know. In full, I don't know. I just got to be honest with you and tell you I can't fully comprehend it, nor will I ever. Nor will you ever until you get to heaven yourself. But oh, do I ever strive for it. I just want to know Jesus. I just want to know Jesus more. I want the fullness of God. I want the fullness of who He is. Does anybody want that this morning? That you want the fullness of God. Not just a part. Not just a little piece. We want it all. We pray a big prayer because we serve a big God. Maybe some that are in this place have come in and this talk about Jesus is just a little bit confusing. And if it is, this church is a safe place for you to be, to ask questions and everything. This church is a place where you can even have doubts. Bring them. Bring them. Jesus can help you with your doubts. Jesus can help you. And we'd love to be a part of sharing with you more of who Jesus is. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus today and you're interested in this fullness of God that we've talked about earlier, you can take this opportunity this morning to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And do you know why I've devoted my life to sharing this message of Jesus Christ? Do you know why I'm willing to come here each Sunday and share this message? Because it changed me. It changed me, and it did to so many in this very room. Jesus changed my heart. He changed my life. When I was four years old, I accepted Christ in the sanctuary. I told you last week I would get to go home to Wisconsin, and I did for a wedding. I walked into the sanctuary that I met Jesus. I accepted Christ at four years old. My grandma Joni, she, she sat down with me during communion, and she told me, she said, Dustin, uh, we're about to take communion. I said, well, I'd like some grape juice, and I'd like some bread. You know, I was a pretty hungry four-year-old, and she said, well, hold on, Dustin. Let's talk about this. She told me what communion was. She told me what it meant to serve Jesus. And she said, do you want to serve Jesus? And I said, yes, at four years old. And I accepted Christ into my heart that day. I'll never forget that. Sunday evening church on a Sunday in 1999, I will never forget that. And I am so grateful to be able to serve Jesus. And I wondered if my grandmother had remembered that. Because we never really talked about it after that. You know, I grew up, went off to college and everything. When I graduated from high school, she wrote me a letter. And in that letter was a photograph of a document from her journal where she wrote on whatever day it was in 1999, I went to church today. I sat with Dustin. And at four years old, he asked Christ to come into his heart. She remembered. I remember that. But as as I continued on through my life, I had made some decisions through my high school years that I wasn't proud of. I remember after my senior year of high school. Yes, I, I I grew up in church and I grew up in Um, with the Lord and my family loves the Lord and everything but I was going to church and at times I would do my own thing on the side and just wasn't the way to live but I turned from those things as a senior in high school after I graduated I decided I was going to be done with the things of this world I'm going to say Jesus I want you and I'm telling you he freed me he set me free he gave me an opportunity to know what it's like to truly live for Jesus, and thank God he saved me. He gave me an opportunity to be set free. He gave me an opportunity to know what it means to be set free. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. 
So the hope is that Jesus died for us and that all we have to do is confess and believe. So I'm going to give an opportunity in this place today. This is a bold statement. This is a bold commitment. But if you'd like to accept Christ in your heart and serve him, whether it's a first time or recommitment, I invite you to just stand up in this place today. Now, next, I'd like to give an opportunity for those that want to know more of the fullness of God. Would you join me and stand at the end today here? We want to help people understand the fullness of God, and God is the only one that can help you. Dear Jesus, help us to know your fullness today. This mystery that has been revealed in Ephesians chapter 3 is the mystery of the gospel of Christ. And we take it seriously, and we say thank you for revealing this mystery to us. Help each and every one of us to stay safe as we go home and bring us back here safely when we return. Pray this in Jesus' name and the church said, amen. Thank you for listening to Byesville Assembly of God. God bless you and your family from all of us at Byesville Assembly of God.